my name is Tally Spencer. Welcome to the Art of Creating Influence 101. I'm your moderator. Um, I am the founder of Remix Magazine, which is an independent music publication. I'm also a publicist and an on-camera host, and I'm super excited to be here today. So I would love to welcome these beautiful ladies to the stage. We're going to get into all things creating influence. And yeah, thank you guys for being here. Let's get started. So the first lady that I would love to welcome to the stage is DJ Rose Gold. She is a creative curator and founder of the House of Milo. Hello. The next lady I would love to bring to the stage is Karen Civil. Karen is the executive vice president and general manager of Young Money Records. Next up, Naomi Reich, who is the senior manager at Spring Hill Uninterrupted and the co-founder of Fortune and Forks. Hello, ladies. How are we feeling today? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to share the stage with you all today and super excited to get into our panel, The Art of Creating Influence 101. So before we really get into things, I want to learn about how you guys define influence. I think that's a big word that you know can mean a lot of different things. Um, it can mean power and in the workplace. But I want to know each of your ladies' individual definition of what does influence mean to you? And I would like to start with Naomi. Amazing. Hi, guys. Um, so to me, influence uh, is really synonymous with impact, right? It's about your ability to shift the thinking of those people around you. Um, to me, it's not necessarily about like likes, clicks, follows. It has, I, I think what we're going to talk about today here is that it has so much more to do with your ability to affect those around you. And to me, that also has so much to do with your sort of credibility. You know what I mean? How much trust, how much can people trust the things that you say? What will people um, listen to when you speak about? Okay, great answer. Um, Karen, how do you define influence? Um, pretty much agreeing with Naomi. Um, and it's also about creating conversation like in your environments and having an impact there. Um, I am big on case studies. I always speak about him, but Marcus Troy is somebody who to me is the blueprint in our culture of um, an influencer. Just seeing you know, his benchmarks when you see an African-American male, you know, most people would think this is okay we can only work with these certain brands, watching him go and diversify his portfolio, working with super large brands, doing collaborations and things like that, which created inspiration for me to do so many things. So um, adding on to what you said, and it's just, you know, someone who honestly inspires you as well to go out and, and you know, fulfill your potential. Absolutely. That's a great definition. I think when you think of influence, you think of who inspires you, who is influential to you. Rose Gold, how do you define influence? I think that um, Karen and Naomi definitely hit the nail on the head with both of those answers, but I really just feel like being influential means that you're able to positively impact people um, who are either your followers or your family or the people that look up to you. And I really think that influence is so important, which is why the name of this panel is what it is. It's because I think that we've gotten lost, especially during COVID times, I found, 
got lost with what that word meant. It was like, there were so many influencers, but it's like, okay, so now that the world is going to shit, <laughs> what are you influencing now, you know? So I think that that kind of gave us a little shift on that word and what that word means, but I really think that it's the ability to be able to positively impact and make people buy into something, not necessarily monetarily, but buy into like a brand or buy into your beliefs that they might agree with. Okay, okay, that's a great definition as well. Um, I think when we think of influence, like you said, the, like being able to convince people to buy into your brand, right? Building a brand that is influential is, you know, not an easy thing to do necessarily, but each of these ladies on stage have the ability to kind of build a brand and create a presence that has influenced people, you know, whether it's inspired them to start something of their own, inspired them to work with them and stay tuned with, you know, what they have going on. I think um, when we think of that, it's like, how do we get to that point of building influence, right? So I would love to ask with Naomi, you know, you started um, a brand, Fortune and Forks, which is a dinner that, um, women all over the world can come to and learn when they're trying to get into entertainment, marketing. Um, tell me about, you know, how did you create that brand and how did you get it to be an influential thing? Like what went into it when you started something like that? Yeah, so we've been working on Fortune and Forks for about five years now. Um, and when I started out in entertainment, I felt like, you know, women empowerment events were becoming very trendy for big brands. There were all these like, brunches and whatever popping up, but a lot of those events were only for C-suite women, SVPs, people who had already kind of figured it out, in my opinion. I know you never actually figure it out. Um, but like, so we wanted to create spaces where people who were assistants, managers, A&Rs, women who were kind of on the rise and on the grind, and who were actually the ones who were actually like influencing culture in a lot of these sort of corporate spaces on a day-to-day, we wanted to create spaces where um, those women could come together and connect and build resources. I was very fortunate um, to go to a boarding school that was very white and affluent in high school. Um, and I saw the way that those kids like graduated from school with relationships and resources. They were graduating, like jumping into VC. And I was like, how do you know anyone who works in VC? What is VC? Um, and so I wanted to kind of create those same resources and relationships for women of color who were entering the, their field in entertainment. And so for us, community is very much our currency. And so when we were starting this brand, I think we had to think who are the sort of early adopters that we want that are gonna set the tone for this community. Um, so a lot of the, what was really important for building our brand was like who we invited to those first two or three dinners. And it wasn't people with a bunch of followers. It wasn't people who already had the accolades and people knew their name. You know, We had to build to just recently even getting those eyes on our events from people like that. Um, but at the beginning, it was really about making sure that we connected with the right kind of people who were engaged and who were going to go out and kind of be ambassadors for the brand and help us grow what we were doing and kind of preach the gospel of Fortune and Forks and what it meant to them. Beautiful. And I love that you said that you didn't necessarily um, choose people initially based on like following, right? Following doesn't necessarily equate to having influence or being influential. And I think um, it's about curation of, you know, what's your message? What are, what are things that you do that kind of, you know, push your message forward? So I love that you touched on that. Um, Karen, same with you, you know, you built a huge influential brand, not only with um, Young Money, which where you're at now, but throughout your career, you know, you've been a media maven, the marketing, you're considered an expert in your field. Talk to me about what went into building your brand, you know, what was the intention behind being what you are today? 
Um, honestly, when I started giving you the truthful answer, um, you know, I grew up in a West Indian home and you either had to be like a nurse or like a police officer or a doctor. And I didn't necessarily, and I don't like blood and um, I don't like donuts. So I was like, I don't want to do either or. So I was a Backstreet Boy fan and the internet honestly gave me a gateway out of my environment and my community um, to have conversations with other people who necessarily didn't look like me, but we had something in common. So once I got a real full understanding of, at the time it was AOL, um, creating community online, having things in common with other people who necessarily didn't look like me, I just knew there was a power in that. So creating my first website was the most important thing to me, um, which was for the Backstreet Boys, and that was like in 1997. I understood the importance of it because um, I used to always go to the library, and having to go to the library to then check out a book that may not be there, spend hours when I knew I wanted to do this, and I'm an introvert, I wanted to do this at home. So I figured there has to be a way where I can have my own archive online for other people who may not necessarily want to go outside or feel as though they have no friends in their community. So it started with that website. For me, it was about necessarily my influence was about just being a problem solver. Um, so years later, you know, um, getting an internship, moving forward. And honestly, a lot of things were trial by error. You know, I moved to Los Angeles um, maybe about 14, 15 years ago when I started with Beats by Dre and even in that position when I started, I said, I want to come into this company, but I want to remain myself. You know, I have different ideas. I think these things, this is why I think this. And the great thing about that is I had an amazing boss, Omar Johnson, who understood the way that I thought. You know, I have out of the box like ideas and he respected that. And that's very important too. Cause I meet so many people who are like, I have these ideas and my company or the whatever I'm working with don't understand it. And that was the most important for, in order for me to fly, I could not be caged. So being able to be there allowed me to continue to build my marketing company and certain things. And the goal for me was to always be in the place I am now where people kind of like, I don't know, they think it's like a blink of the eye, but this is like 15 years. I started as Lil Wayne's social media manager um, in my career to now being, this was what, I think um, 2010, mm -hmm. I think it was. And then now being in a place as his general manager, this was the end goal and it was taking that time. Um, so from, my agency work to, I had something similar, which was my Live Civil brunch, being able to see other women who at times didn't feel seen, because I knew that feeling. So um, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of trial by error, taking my time, but honestly it was like believing in myself and not putting ever an expiration date on my success, my career, what I saw for myself, and most importantly, my development. Well said, I think, um Something that you touched on that I really picked up on is when you said you were also building a community. You know, I think that's an important part as you're continuing to grow and elevate throughout your career and you're kind of building this influence, it takes time. It's not overnight, it's not a blink of the eye. So when you're building that community, you're establishing trust, you're building relationships and to give, to create influence, you gotta give it. So it's kind of like, you know, 
getting to where you are. The most important for me with like, when you hear words like influence now, people think it's like, oh, I have to be popular. I have to have a lot of numbers. For me, it was just about problem solving. How can I quote unquote influence my community or people around me to feel good about themselves, to do X, Y, Z, to fix gaps that may have been there and make things talk to each other. So from beats, it'll go from working in the music to sports, to social, to um, up and coming influencers, seeing these people first, putting them in campaigns first um, and identifying them to understand these people eventually are going to have the influence. If you even like look back, some of the first people we ever worked with was Zendaya came to our office and people are, you know, at the time she was on Disney, I knew who she was because like my niece loved her. And they were like, um, you know, at this point we have Lady Gaga, we have P. Diddy, um, like it was LMAFO. And I was like, yeah, I mean, they're cool. They're at their pinnacle. They already have the influence. Like we have to find people who are emerging and that's the most important. That was the most important part. So we got to work with like, seeing the Nipsey Hustles first, Zendaya's um, and other athletes like the John Walls and et cetera who came in and it was that was the most important is identifying them first and building with them because as they built their careers, they continued to work with us and it wasn't about like, you know, now everything is paid for play and just the monetary value. They saw the relationship because we saw them first. Right, and I want to get into, you know, how we spot, you know, talent and how we spot artists, but I'll save that for a little bit later. Rose Gold, I need to ask you, um, tell me about, you know, your brand, your influence, the way you built what you're working towards now. Let's let the people know. So again, kind of very similar to both Naomi and Karen in the sense that my brand started from me identifying gaps. I was always the person to look at what wasn't happening and say, okay, what can I do to make this happen because it doesn't exist right now. So to bring you back a little bit, I actually was in school to be a French teacher up until 2017. And I was fortunate enough that my parents who are here somewhere, I feel like they're under that light somewhere. Um, my dad is a reggae artist and my brother is a producer and an artist. And my mom was like, hey, I'm tired of you taking my son to the studio until five o'clock in the morning. He's in the seventh grade. Um, so my mom actually built a studio in our basement. And after she did that, I still went to school. My brother was doing music, my dad was doing music. And then one day I just had like DJ programs on my phone and I was like, there aren't many female DJs in Toronto. That's where I'm from, I'm from Toronto. Well, Mississauga specifically. Um, any Canadians in here, by the way? Um, yeah, so I was like, wait, there aren't like any female DJs. There was a couple, of course. And I decided to go to the, our version of Guitar Center, which is Long and McQuaid, for all you Canadians there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I bought a DJ controller and I was like, to the, to the um, customer service rep, I was like, hey, if I don't like this, um, what's the return policy? <laughs> and um, he said seven days, so I was like, okay, I guess I have seven days to figure out if this is what I wanna do or not. Um, and it was me identifying that there weren't many female DJs that made me go into becoming a DJ. Um, I had a couple of fellow DJs, which I'll get into after with one of, uh, with Tally, but um, 
I started getting booked for a couple of events, but I wasn't getting paid what I thought I needed to get paid. Sorry, I was told to watch out for the peas. Um, I wasn't getting paid what I thought I was supposed to be getting paid. Um, and it was starting to get a little bit difficult for me to get booked for events um, that really resonated with me. Because um, obviously, being a DJ, being in the club scene, there's, you know, like the cool high profile events, there's the basement jams, there's the corporate events. And I had made a lot of friends from being in school who are ready to support me. And I was like, hey, why don't I throw my own parties? Because when people are putting on parties, I'm bringing like 80, 90 people with me. So I can get a venue with 100 capacity and I could fill that whole place out. Um, so that's really how like my brand started um, was for me just identifying that gap. And now with my agency, the House of Milo, that became a thing because I was like, hey, let me start a business that I can put all of my events under. I started doing events for other companies. I worked with Lyft. I worked with SoundCloud. I worked with a bunch of different companies because they were having trouble trying to figure out how to enter the Toronto market in the urban event space. And I kind of had the formula because I started doing it myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much how my brand came about. And it's very similar to kind of what I'm doing now, which is still putting on events, um, but just making sure that I'm, again, just looking at what I don't, what I think could be done better. You know, and I think that it's really important too, like no matter what industry that you're in, that you never stop being a student. Because you could think that you have everything all figured out. And I'm sure that you all feel the same way with like going to other people's events and things like that. And you too, of course. Um, is just making sure that you're consistently in student mode. Because in the industry that we're in, every single second there's a different formula. Every second there's, you know, a new DJ that pops up, a new person who's a media maven, whatever the case is. So I think it's really important to you know, get out there, go to different events and things like that and see what you think could be done better and then filling in those gaps yourself. Yeah, okay. And the, a common theme that you guys all kind of brought up was the theme of a community and the theme of kind of building alongside and never stopping, you know, working, you know, keep going out there, putting your work out there. Um, I would love to know, like, some tips that you guys have as far as what ways can people go out there and network with others? You know, how do you market yourself? How do you kind of continue to build your influence, especially when you're just starting out and you're telling people about your ideas? Naomi, I want to start with you. Yeah, um, so for me, like on a personal tip, so I work in film and TV, I work in uh, film and TV development. Um, when I was getting started, I had to do a lot of cold emailing. And I feel like people have forgotten the art of cold emailing. And I say art because it really is an art, like how you position yourself, what do you say to get your email read, get noticed, and have someone actually want to connect with you. I get tons of cold emails. And by nature of my job, my job tells me, like, we're not supposed to solicit submissions, but if I see some, we're not supposed to solicit, solicit submissions that don't come through either our agency or existing relationships, but if I see certain things in an email, like I'm gonna click, I'm gonna click on the link, I'm gonna check out that, you know, that script, that treatment, um, and so I think people have to, you know, remember that they're, you know, that, that to me is still really important, that's how I got all of my first meetings that led to internships and jobs and such. Um, and then I think also like not being too cool, like, you know, we all live in LA, like, and I think it's very hard, especially as women sometimes to like 
approach people, go to events alone, you know, compliment people, tell people what you love about their work. Like, those things go a long way. And people are usually flattered and will want to lend an ear if they know that you've actually paid attention to, to what they do and what they've done in their career. And like Rose Gold said, like, that you want to learn, that you really want to be a student. I think um, that to me is like where I've found the most success in terms of connecting with new people and getting people to notice me. Okay, the art of cold emailing. That's one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite. That could be a whole panel in that itself. That could be a whole panel. No, literally. <laughs> yes, as a publicist, it's a big part of my job, and I also get a lot of pitches. So I'm always looking for, you know, I read my emails. So if you have a good pitch, sometimes that can be the thing that takes you to the next level. But especially as a young person who, like, actually just wants to learn. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There are things you can say that will make someone notice, oh, they've, they actually know my career. They've actually checked out my work. You know what I mean? Or they went to this school and this, you know, they went to the school I went to or that, you know, there are just little things you can include in an email that, or they worked at the same company I worked at that will help you stand out when you're reaching out to people who you may not have an existing relationship with. Okay. Okay. So establishing those relationships, don't be afraid to cold email, don't be afraid to go to events alone and work the room, put yourself out there. Karen, do you have any tips for ways that people can market themselves correctly? Um... Yeah, um, so I am super introverted, and I had to be honest with myself, first and foremost. I know I'm super introverted, and I'm on the spectrum, so it's not easy for me to go out. I have to, even for this today, it took me two days of sitting in silence and preparing, knowing I'm going to be in front of people, but... Which when is I, crazy, because she's Karen Civil, y'all. <laughs> but it's, it's like I have to, quote-unquote, radiate this energy at times that I necessarily don't always have. But I had to prepare myself for this. So one of the things was, like, Karen, you have a comfortability factor, which is, you know, I would always want... My brother was my best friend. I wanted him to go everywhere with me. So I'm like, okay, I can't do that. I started to go to events alone. But then I started to identify, besides going to the events, like music events and things, everyone runs towards the artist and they think that's the most important person. I'm like, okay, let me scan the room and identify other people who helped make this possible. It's the person with the clipboard or the earpiece or maybe standing next to the artist or the producer or whoever else, and I'd build a relationship with them. I would go to an event, obviously, with intention as well. I would have seven business cards. It was like print for you or something for free. And I'd have seven business cards. I didn't leave my house with 50 to hand them to everyone. I'd have meaningful conversations. And then I would wait and take some time, email those people and say, hey, it was great connecting with you. I didn't say, oh, let's... You know, everyone's, oh, let me pick your brain. People are tired, and I get that. Or, like, let's link, you know, the generic words and things people say. Not I'm let's like, link. <laughs> you know, it's like I would find meaningful conversations, connect with them on LinkedIn, see it was their birthday, send messages. You know, we have normal, engaging conversations. We're finding ways where it would make sense then to tap in for... Um, connections and things and then when especially when I moved to Los Angeles I realized people let their guard down they're way more comfortable I'm originally from the east coast everybody people don't really invite you to their house everyone's looking around it's very fast 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 where LA was very nonchalant and laid back like literally my first day non name dropping at all I went to the mall and it was like David Beckham and his kids shopping for his wife and I was like oh this is what LA is okay okay I can I think I can get into this. So um, 
I started doing that. I started going places, connecting with, um, connecting with people. Um, and my biggest thing I would say to people is I treated it like a classroom and not the lunchroom. Because when you think of a classroom, it's very diverse. You have to sit next to people you may not know. You have to partner with people you may not know. It's just we're all in it. And to me, that's just what whatever business and society you're in. And I told myself, never treat it like uh, the lunchroom. And when you think of the lunchroom, you'd walk in, think if you're a new person walking into a situation, everyone has a click. You know, it's the popular kids, it's the jocks. You know, you stick with your own kind. And that's not what I wanted for myself, especially if I know I'm busy, um, I'm growing and I want my business to grow. I want to make sure that I am connecting and meeting with people that are different from me, that may have something in common, that we can grow and create real grassroots um, synergies. Okay, okay, great answer. And I know um, a theme, a common theme has just been being in person and, you know, following up, you know, connecting organically. I truly do feel like there's a time and place for everything and not coming necessarily with your ask right out the gate. That That's really one of the keys, in my opinion, to networking is, you know, don't ask for something right away, you know, kind of establish that relationship. With social media and the way that that's kind of, I feel like, speed track the process of connecting with people, um, Rose Gold, I want to get your opinion on what way has social media um, kind of played a role in the way you market yourself and the way you network with other people? So I will say for sure, the one social media app that helped me the most, and you're going to think I'm going to say Instagram, but it was Clubhouse. Clubhouse literally changed my entire career. And I don't know if anybody else has that same feeling, but Clubhouse is where I met my manager, Zeno. Clubhouse is where I met Tally. Clubhouse. I forgot we met on Clubhouse. <laughs> like, we're literally sitting here because yeah, we ready? met each other on Clubhouse. Like, I think that that allowed me to be able to make so many meaningful connections in this industry and outside of this industry. So I'll say like that first and foremost, 100%. But again, you could have every social media app in the world with all the access to everybody, but if you don't know how to approach it, it's not doing anything for you, right? So the one tip that I would give, and this is something that I learned a couple years ago, you know when you go to a conference and let's say, I don't know, Karen Civil from Young Money is there and you want to talk to her. You say, hey, I want to be signed to Young Money. I'm a rapper. Listen to my stuff. It's the hottest shit you'll ever hear, right? How many times do you think that Karen heard that that day? Lots, right? So what I like to do is to think, what has she not heard today? What can I offer to Karen Civil? What can I do for her? And me as a DJ, what I started to do, and I wanted to connect with artists and I wanted to connect with these people at labels and stuff and I would go to conferences. I would go up to them and I would say, hey, I'm a DJ, I'm from Toronto. I know a lot of DJs in Toronto and I have a DJ pool. So what I did was I compiled a list of all of the DJs in Toronto that wanted to be a part of my DJ pool. I put them all in a Google Drive and I would connect with these A&Rs and managers and artists and I would say, hey, I really want to connect with you because I want to get your artist music played. Did you sign anybody in the last couple of months that needs some radio play or that needs to get their stuff played in the clubs? Connect with me. Here's my email. Let me talk to you. Because that's me doing something for them, right? And I think that that's been the most beneficial part of my networking experience. 
because how many times does somebody come up to you, whatever it is that you do, and they want to talk to you, and you're like, you don't even remember their name. You don't remember where they, where they come from. You don't remember the color of their hair, much less. But if you do something to stand out, I think that that's the most important part. And kind of back to what Naomi said, cold calling has been such an incremental part of my career as well. And like we said before, like that's an art, but that really comes down to what your pitch is. Like perfecting your elevator pitch, knowing what kind of those top three moments of your career are, what the top three things that you're able to provide to somebody and detailing that, making sure that the emails that you're sending have a body to it, making sure they have a subject line. Like it might sound so just, you know, obvious, but it's not. Like I, I really do get emails from people like no subject and they'll send me their Spotify link as if I can import that into my Serato, which I can't. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so do you want me to screen record it and then import it and then export it as an MP3 and then I'll put it in like, What's your artist's name? I have no idea. Like, so I think it's just understanding etiquette is also really important as well when it comes to networking. And the last thing that I'll say on this is something that our mutual friend Yusuf taught me and has always said that has stuck with me is like, go to where your blessings are. If you know that you want to network with people, you know that anytime you go to LA, you get a lot of things done try to move to LA. I, I moved to LA and got an Airbnb because it was furnished and I got myself a full-time job as an influencer marketing manager literally last year after I hadn't been in the workforce for the past four I years. I remember this. Yep. So I got a job as an influencing marketing, influencer marketing coordinator with a company that sold these plush toys. And at the time, this is going back to identifying gaps. At the time, I just needed a job to allow myself to move to LA because I didn't know if I was going to get booked for events out there, right? I'm not from here. I just got a visa. I'm like, you know, all happy, like, hey, I'm moving to LA, but where am I gonna make money? I don't know. Um, so I got a job at this company and I said to them, hey, I have relationships with a lot of artists. You guys are only making plush toys for gamers and influencers. So let me come on board and I can, you know, work work with these artists and I can get them these like customized plush toys made. Little did they know, and if, I don't think they're listening or watching, but little, little did they know, I was actually using this to strengthen my own relationships within the music industry because every time I was reaching out to these artists and their managers, I'm saying, hey, I have a money move for you guys. Like I have, I can put money in your pocket. And now those are people that I'm still able to connect with. You know what I mean? And I went to where my blessing was, which was in LA. And sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. Like, get that Airbnb in that city. It's furnished. I didn't have to buy a bed. I didn't have to buy matches. I didn't have to buy anything. Got a couple new um, memory foam pillows from Marshalls. And I was comfortable. And then um, I was able to now go back to my full-time job, which is creating. So, yeah. Okay, amazing. I love, go where your blessings are. Go where the opportunities are. Go feed the hand that's feeding you, you know? So um, I think that's one thing, a common theme I've also just seen among these ladies is like you've been able to build your own brands and market yourselves in a way that is also respectable and something that people, you know, admire and want to be a part of. I guess my next question would be, um, how do you kind of determine your, your, your rate? How do you determine your, your value and where you kind of should place yourself when it comes to what you're asking for? When is it warranted? Where does it all make sense? So Naomi, how do you kind of determine your value? Yeah, um, well, I think in terms of like actual rate, you know what I mean, compensation, um, 
you gotta talk to people. Like, and it can be an uncomfortable conversation to have. I think you need to build relationships in your industry, in your workplace, where you have people that you can talk to about money. Like, I will never forget one of the directors on my team who was like kind of fed up and like trying to do other stuff, like told me specifically like what she was making now and what she was looking to make next. And it like lifted the veil. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, they're paying me pennies. Um, but it, I w it really helped me like, just understand like, industry landscape. And look to people outside of your company who have nothing to lose by telling you, you know, what they make. Find some, some family friends or someone who can really talk to you about money. And talk to your friends. Talk to like, your best friends who might work in similar industries, even if they're not in similar industries. Find out what other people are getting paid um, as much as you can. And then also, to that point, like, you know, be, be open with other people. Have those conversations when, when appropriate. You know what I mean? You have to know when it's appropriate and when it's safe to have those kinds of conversations with people. Um, but I try my best to talk when young people, especially young people who are like trying to get their footing or entering entertainment, like when they're talking to me about pay scales, I try to be very honest. If I had a conversation with someone last week who was pivoting from a manager role and wanted to come in as I think an assistant or something, and I was like, look, this is the range. Before I even recommend you to HR, like I know this is the range that they're looking at. Is that, does that even make sense for your lifestyle? Um, so yeah, I think, I think don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to have those conversations so that you can figure out what works for, for yourself and what you're trying to do. Amen, closed mouths don't get fed. You gotta ask or else you're not gonna get it. <laughs> Karen, do you have a, a similar perspective or what's your perspective, I guess, when you're kind of building a brand, um, you determined you know, your worth by what exactly? Um, when I was building my brand from the influencer like space, um, again, I just made sure that I didn't, well, let me take it back. I was excited to get the free things. I'm not going to lie. Companies would give me things. I'd take pictures, but then after a while, I'm like, I can't pay my rent with Ciroc. You know, I brought on, I realized my weaknesses and that was okay. That's something else we sometimes at times don't want to identify and we don't ever want to look um, weak. But I was okay with tapping into, it was two creators that I work with a lot coming up. One of them, um, her name was Dimples and another one was Christian. They were they are amazing in that space. And the parts where I lacked, where I was not comfortable having conversations before I could even get an assistant, because another thing is it's hard for me to say, hey, it was hard for me to speak on my value because I felt like people would be insulted and I'm not quite sure why, that I created a fictitious like assistant who would speak on my behalf just so I felt comfortable asking for my rate. But then um, Dimples and Christian would help me like create a one sheet, do certain things similar to like other counterparts I would see. They would send me as case studies like, yo, you should check out this person, check out this person, see how they're doing it. And going back to Marcus Choi really was the blueprint for me. And I'm always going to credit that to him. And it's like bringing them two on throughout my career was so amazing because they helped me realize my potential and worth. And once you get into that space, you realize every, like I'm not stepping over a dollar to pick up a nickel. So every company who may, who may have reached out, it's like, mm, I'm okay. I can pick in what works for me. Back then, it was much easier. I can get a 40 to 70K check by just taking a picture. Now, God bless all the influencers because you have to do hella work. Like they want you cut, edit, this, that, that. 
And now I know it's like, you know, sometimes at times the pay is not the same, but it's really understanding your, it's really understanding your value worth where you don't feel like you have the biggest strength is tapping into people who, who are on the cusp of coming up as well, connecting with them. And that's what I did because both of them, Dimples had her own agency and me as a creative, I signed on to her agency for a couple of months. Same thing with Christian. He had an agency. I knew I wasn't the best at always communicating. I would divulge and tell him my thoughts, what I wanted to bring out, and he would help me get a better understanding of them. So it was really just connecting with counterparts who also had their own agencies, who got it and just letting them be strong in that area for me. So it was really just like creating a Voltron with them. Okay, okay, so connecting with your peers, talking to people, asking for the answers is you know, one way that you can kind of determine your worth and sticking to that. Um, Rose Gold, I know with yourself, you have Rose Gold University, which by the way, we have some surprise um, gifts for everyone, not everyone, but <laughs> people in the audience today. So if you are um, It's the good kind, y'all. It's the good kind. <laughs> so if you're recording, make sure to tag at Rose Gold University. We're going to be announcing some random winners from um, whoever tags the story. So make sure to do that. But with you and creating Rose Gold University and also building your brand as a DJ, how do you get comfortable with, you know, negotiating your rate or setting your price and sticking to it? So I had a trick that I used to use um, back in the day, like two months ago. Um, <laughs> Let's hear it. So, um, no, it actually was uh, some time ago, maybe a couple years ago. So when I first started DJing and when I started feeling like, hey, you know what, I think I should raise my rate what I would do is I would create a separate email address and I would email DJs who I thought were, you know, that I was kind of on the same level as them, doing the same types of events as them. I would create a, I created a fake email and I would email them and be like, hey, looking to book X, Y, and Z for my event, wanted to know your rates. And that's how I found out how much I should price myself at because I didn't know what the going rate for, for DJs was. And I think it's an interesting conversation too, just like in the music industry in general, it's like there never really is a standard. Like there's no, we don't, we don't have um, a union. There's no union for DJs. There's no union for creatives to say, okay, if you've been in this field for five years, this is, this is what you should make it's kind of all, you know, plug and play into each individual event. So that's how I kind of went about it to figure, to figure that out. And I think I, to a certain extent, agree in, in the whole notion of, um, what's the saying? Like, oh, my rate's going up. Like, oh, I just got this booking, my rate's going up. Like, yeah, this is kind of a thing, but it's like, it doesn't really work all the time. Um, but what Karen said is actually something that I was doing for a really long time was before I had the capacity to have a manager, I was consistently looking like the bad guy when people would book me for things and I would say my rate. And like you said, like they'd get intimidated sometimes. Like, what do you mean? That's how much you're charging. Like, well, guess what? If nobody comes to DJ your party, then there's going to be a lot of people in there just listening to each other, like <laughs> cough and laugh. <laughs> so if there's anyone that should be getting paid, it's the DJ. Um, but sometimes they're like, nah, I don't know if we should be paying you that much, whatever. And what I would, what I would do is I had another email address and I would pretend to be my own manager and I would negotiate my rates for myself using a fake name because God forbid DJ Rose Gold was saying that she needed her money in time. Like God forbid. 
Um, so that's what I did. And I encourage everybody, like if you're an artist, I would literally encourage you to do that if you don't have the capacity to have a manager yet or you know, you're not that busy yet that you can do it yourself. Um, that's definitely a good way to go about it. Okay. Or find somebody who's in school, find somebody who's in school who wants to get into the music industry and start working with them and have them do the emails for you and have them be your correspondent. Okay, sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I heard that with the fake email. <laughs> Um, but no, I think another thing that you touched on was like this idea of a team, you know, having a manager, having someone to kind of advocate for you. Um, I'm curious on your lady's thoughts on like the thought of co collaboration. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of things as an entrepreneur that you do have to do yourself from sending those emails to research to just executing the day to day. But um, Karen, for you specifically, I know, you know, now you're working with a team at Young Money. Talk to me a little bit about the differences between when you're an entrepreneur, you know, doing everything individually versus working with a team. And is there one that you prefer? Um, I do like this space better uh, because it's just I have the full on support. Um, you know, everyone's situation is going to be a bit different. But being a black woman, um, and I try not to always make it about like race and gender, but with this situation, unfortunately, it has to be. Um, and understanding like when you're coming up as an entrepreneur, sometimes people don't see it for you. You know, the wage is different. What they want to offer you is different. And just having people like rally for you is not always easy. Um, so even for like, say, my first ever speaking event, um, I believe it was this network who reached out to me. And when they reached out to me, I told them a certain figure. And I'll never forget um, Maverick Carter, who this is when I was at Beats, but still doing other things. Maverick Carter gave me the best advice and really made me believe and see in myself. Because for the hosting, I was like, $2,000. He was like, no, you need to put another zero behind that. Like, cause he understood my potential, what I grew, just me and seeing me and, and that in itself made me understand and fully like see my worth. So now I'm just like at a point where I love this space, just having a team, knowing certain things because I just felt just being in that entrepreneur space as a black woman, at times there's no boundaries. You have to keep communicating, keep speaking. Hi, when can I get my money? The net 30, net 60, net 90, then COVID hit and then people was just like, mm, TBD, I see you when I see you for it, which got very difficult. But in this space, you know, everyone at times, it's great to be an entrepreneur. It's always, it's amazing. But just in this space now, I love the fact, and given with my age, I love the fact that I have the team, the support. Um, I can bring on people and we have more resources because it's a set up situation. This was somebody who wasn't, Wayne was an entrepreneur, Mac Main was an entrepreneur, and they grew this, like, um, I want to call it a billion dollar company between the sports agency, the restaurants, the liquor, just everything that he has from his catalog is damn near like a half a billion dollar business. And I love that I'm able to oversee this and just have the support that's there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That's a great answer. And I want to make sure we have enough time for the audience Q and A. Um, I want to get into, you know, given that you work so hard, 
everybody has a busy life, a busy schedule. I want to get into like from, from hustle culture to self-care culture a little bit. I would love if everyone could maybe say one or two sentences just about how do you manage and prioritize your mental health? How do you manage your well-being? Is there tips that you have? Um, starting with Naomi. I cry, y'all. <laughs> cry sometimes, it out. Sometimes you just need a good cry. <laughs> and it'll help you get back on the horse. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, you know, I try to, like, plan my life these days. Something I just started doing recently, kind of in, like, seasons. You know what I mean? The way that, like, athletes have a season and they have an off-season. Um, and, you know, I work also, you know, a nine-to-five in film and TV development. And then I'm also, like, building this brand outside of work. So there's not a time that I can actually shut everything down. But I think having an idea these days of, like, when is going to be my busy season? And then when am I going to give myself rest? So, for example, for us for Fortune and Forks, like, Black History Month and Women's Month, this is a run, like this is like eight events in seven weeks. But like in April, I know like I'm shutting down, like I'm saying no to some things, I'm planning a trip, like I'm, I'm making sure that I carve out that time um, post like a busy season to really sit so I can recharge because you also can't be inspired if you're not recharged. Like that's always so important to me. As soon as I feel myself like getting close to that, that kind of burnout, I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm not going to be able to perform, you know, if I'm trying to pour from an empty cup. So you need to kind of also just be in tune with yourself and figure out like, what are my limits? What are my boundaries? And when do I know that I need to kind of take a seat and, and, and give myself grace? Like sometimes I convince myself out of grace and that's insane. Um, that's insanity. Like you, you need to know that, that it's okay to take breaks um, and, and take time to really like take care of yourself. Absolutely, knowing boundaries. Karen, what do you think? How do you take care of yourself? Um, for me, honestly, it's, it's being honest with yourself. Um, when I, when I, was starting into the endeavor of entrepreneur agency and creating all these things, I knew I had to be laser focused. I didn't have another life. There was no other life. I tried to do the dating thing. It didn't balance. I knew it wasn't going to be easy for me to have children right now to take care of them, to give them the support that they need. I read this book, Lean In, and she talked about like the seesaw effect where you may be winning in one aspect of your life, but failing in another. And that's something that we don't necessarily talk about often. And we like kind of push it under the rug like it doesn't exist. I have two amazing brothers, you know, and in our family, everyone's like, oh, they're so successful. Look, they both have four kids. I said, yes, yeah, stop saying they have four kids. They have a family, a wife, and a whole situation. My brother comes home and goes to his back cave, you know, and plays video games after a long day of work. I said, I don't think it would be as easy for me to do the same thing. I would have to go into mommy mode and X, Y, Z. So it's not to like negate him or anything like that, but I just had to be honest with myself. Now I'm in this place where I knew the final goal for me was to get in this position that I am now, this executive position, where I can slow down, I can focus on, you know, which the one thing I wish I, I did better was um, have time for my mental wellness, which is doing grounding work, um, tapping into your senses. You know, there's so much conversation. Therapy now is now so talked about, especially in our community. Um, but at times, people can't necessarily afford that. So it's 
finding ways to tap into those five senses. May it be how I start my day. I don't rush on the phone anymore. You know, I thought every email needed to be responded to right away. I have business hours set for that. So it's really creating boundaries from a work standpoint, from a personal standpoint, and just moving forward with that, which to me is is super important because when they say you can't have it all, yes, you can. Because I feel like I have it all now and it's on the terms that work best for me. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. <laughs> Round of applause. <laughs> Rose Gold, how do you feel about you know prioritizing your, your mental health and your needs at this point in your career? I just had to start saying no a lot more. And I think that that's something that I was not doing at all, especially moving to a new city. It's like, you feel like you have to do everything. There's a release party every 24 hours. Like, and you just FOMO. feel like- FOMO will, will hit you. Listen, yeah. and that, LA, yes. that is something that I'm still trying to overcome because when there are times that I do want to say no or I don't want to go somewhere, in my head I'm like, but what if there's somebody there that can like that I could connect with and and then you look on Instagram after you're like oh that person was there or you'll look after to be like let me just prove to myself that I was allowed to stay in my bed and watch Netflix today you know <laughs> let me look at it. that event was not as fun as I thought it was gonna be I'm glad I'm here um, but yeah I think like saying no a lot more has definitely helped me and Karen quickly touched on therapy like I'm gonna I'm gonna fuse therapy with being friends with people who are not in my industry has helped me so much because we make friends in the industry and they're great and I love them and spending time with them is, is awesome. But it's like the feeling of being able to hang out with somebody who doesn't do what you do and you guys can actually just sit down and have a conversation of some, about something that you didn't just talk about for the last 12 hours is also really nice. Um, so I think that that's also really important is like finding a tribe outside of your space. Because um, it just allows also for like so many more diverse conversations as well. And yeah, yeah. I think that those are, those are the things yeah. that I do. I love that. I was going to say too, like if you can't afford therapy, get some good friends. Oh like my God. surround yourself yes. with some good people who yeah. will feel like Necessary. therapy. Because social media now, if it's used correctly, can tailor and help you. Like I love TikTok. Like from a sense of people like, oh, they're always dancing on it. I'm like, not on my algorithm. I got my Jesus. I was like, it starts, I got my Jesus. Yes, it, I get all my quotes. they be like, oh, let me do a 30-second devotional with you. I'm like, all right, amen. And then I'll have tips on being a better, like how I show up in my relationship. I'm like, oh, yes, my man's going to love this. Then just ways to cook and ways to like, it's all these new yeah. ways that I, I guess we were using a lot of appliances and things wrong yeah. and just getting better at the house. So it's like tailoring it to fit your needs. So yeah, I, I get at times it, it can be expensive, but there, there are other options out there from books to friends to people you can lean into. Yes, I think having an outlet is definitely very key to just shift your perspective and also let it out. Like you said, cry it out, do what you gotta do to kind of release some of that tension. But um, thank you so much, ladies. I do wanna get into the audience q and I see we have a few questions. Um, so I'll let you, you know, take it away for how you guys want to answer it. But the first question um, is, what are some things that stand out in a cold email? I think this is a great question. Yeah, I love this one. This is a great question. I have a couple things, and then Karen, you jump in. I, I just think um, introducing yourself up top 
and stating your intention. So if you don't get me in the first two sentences, you, you don't have me. So making sure that those first two sentences are really stellar. And like I said, any touch points you have with that person, don't just name drop some random human being, but if you have a real, genuine, mutual relationship, um, if you went to the same school as them, if you worked at a similar company, if you tried something, and then like I said, I think the last thing is like, show that you've studied their career. Mention of specific work of theirs that you're a fan of. Show I, I in college was reading Karen's website all the time, so it's very special to be sitting here with you today, but like show that you've actually studied the work or the person's career, that you've seen something that they've done, you know what I mean? So that they are more inclined to, to reach out and respond to whatever you're asking for. Okay. And then when you send these cold emails, make sure you're actually sending it to the person that can help you with the situation. So it's like, I try to tell people, like, I'm a general manager, executive vice president. I'm not the a and I'm not necessarily the president. Like, I don't, I can't sign you. But if you want to talk about a business aspect, if it's something larger for him or the talent, I got you. But that's just the most important one. Like recently, I read every single email. I may not respond, which is I'm entitled to, but I read every single email. And the ones that hit, I absolutely love. And they're like, oh, wow, that was easy. I'm like, yes, a photographer or somebody who'll reach out to me, I'll send it to where it needs to go at times. Hey, I would like to, what happened the other day? Just a reference. Um, we did Carrie Champion show and somebody hey, we'd love to have him on the show. We were there two days later. That's it. it. It went to, they reached out to the right person and it happened from there. So just making sure that you're, you're hitting the right person. I know I'm saying the same thing over, but yeah, that's really important. Okay, okay, great answers. Um, next question from the audience is, what is an appropriate approach for an artist who is looking to be discovered but doesn't have the social media following yet? I'll, I'll start with that one. Connect with DJs. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a DJ, but I'm telling you, if you are not getting your music played, then, you know, like, I feel like everyone's like, you know, the DJs are the gatekeepers and all of that. But actually think about it. If you're an artist and you're making music, what is the ultimate goal for your music to get played and for people to hear your music? And how else are they going to hear it if the DJs aren't playing your music, right? Um, so I think that connecting with DJs doesn't matter how many followers you have. I'm telling you right now, like when people send me emails or they DM me with their music, nine times out of 10, I'm actually listening to it. Like, will I add it to my set every time? Not necessarily, but even if you go the extra mile, if you're in the city of that DJ or connect with DJs in your city and go support them, if they're having an event, go pull up on them, go support them. Like, I think that that will go a very long way, um, especially if you don't have a big following yet. It's just like, again, going back to building relationships, but I would definitely say to find some DJs to get your music out to. That's and DJs know a lot of people. Y'all know everybody. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Two, it's, it's about owning your community too, because your community is your first fans. So I know people are so big on, oh, my numbers aren't large, my numbers aren't large. That's not important at all. I found so much new talent. Like people are like, what do you listen? I'm like, uh, you probably wouldn't know. Because they're like, most of them are all new artists, and it, they, it's not one specific genre. It goes from country to R&B to this and that, because somebody in their community had it playing in the background. They start to vocalize, and it feels like they're your quote-unquote street team. So 
don't focus on, oh, the person in Alaska don't know who I am if you're from New Jersey. Like, do those talent shows, whatever's happening in your community, connecting with the DJs, because those people are going to go on their socials, singing your songs, doing things for you that helps that outreach get larger. So now when people tap into your community, they're like, this is who you need to know. So I have this series called... Um, in my neighborhood where I find artists from certain communities that are bubbling up and do a docu-series on them. And literally how I find people is through social media. I may not know much about the artists, but somebody's posting about them. There's a website in your community, like a hip hop blog or music blog, your DJ, somebody online, XYZ, who's singing the music. I'm like, all right, who's that? I gotta figure out who this is and go from there. Yeah, great answers. Um, the power of social media, again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it shouldn't go unnoticed. And I think if you're an upcoming artist or an, an individual with a brand, you need to be utilizing social media. So another question, I think we have time for like two more. Um, let's see. As women of color, can you speak to the specific challenges that you faced in business or relationships in order to excel in your field? That's a good one. Yeah, this is a huge topic. We could do a separate panel on this. Um, but what I will say is that people look out for people who they see themselves in, right? So in my experience, when I'm working in, sometimes, not always, but I think a lot of the times, and so when I'm, or people who they kind of connect with and feel like they can identify with easily. And so in my experiences working in, you know, a lot of white spaces, I found out that, I found that people were connecting on things that I, nece I didn't necessarily know about or life experiences I didn't necessarily have. Um, so for me, I had to sometimes like walk into rooms and put that out of my brain. You know what I mean? I think sometimes as like black people, as women, as women of color, it's easy to, sh for me especially, to show up and feel like, oh, they're probably not interested in connecting with me or, you know, they already have these relationships. And so I had to kind of like put that out of my mind and tell myself that I belong in any space that I enter and that I have value to the people who are in any of those rooms. Okay, anyone else want to touch on that? Okay, that's a good um, perspective to have. And then I think this will be the last question, but um, what are some tips and healthy habits for coping with negative comments and toxicity? What you gotta say to the haters? Nothing, block, block, block. <laughs> I, I used to go to a point and like, I had a, a series where I was like s sitting and conversing with people and s somebody called my phone was like, what are you, like what's happening? A few people called my phone like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this doesn't equate to like my health, my mental wellness, like my family, my man, my, like my bank account. Like, okay, it's an opinion and that's, that's just gonna come with it. And then Tyler the Creator said something so great. He was just like, you're getting bullied on the internet? Boo, like you just, <laughs> and I, I know it sounds so harsh, but like, yeah, you just, you just close your phone. These things really don't exist. Some of the most hateful comments are literally even the last question. It's a lot of the times, a lot of people are projecting, projecting their own fears. Um, 
they don't see something for you because they have limited beliefs for themselves. So I don't blame people. I don't live in it. I don't dwell in it. You know how people are like, oh, the hate fuels me. Shit, that shit do not do nothing for me. Like at all, to a point, it's just like, I'm cool. You're projecting. I choose not to take this. I'm good. Your opinion is your opinion. And that's another thing too. We as a society, we get so wound up where people are like, I can't, I hate this person. I'm like, ooh, you don't even know her. Like, what is this about when it comes from political to sports to this to that? It's just so much projections and so much opinions where I feel like it just gets heightened. Um, but yeah, it's it's someone's opinion. It's like, okay, what next? Black, black, black. Amen. <laughs> I think something something that I like to do just just to get it out sometimes, I won't respond to them, but I'll like respond in my head or like call my friend like this person just said this and I'll just like go off and be like I want to say to her blah 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 like last year I went to the billboard women in music and I was wearing this dress and somebody commented on my picture and was like um you should pick a dress that looks better for your body type next time and in I literally called my friend and I was like, I want to say to this girl, were you on the Getty Images billboard red carpet last year? Like, were you there? <laughs> like, so I just, that's what I wanted to say back to her. But instead, I still got it out. I still got it out. But I didn't say it to her. But what I do like to do, every time I'm inclined to respond to a negative comment, I'm like, do you know how many positive things there are also in my DMs that I haven't gotten through to? Exactly. So it's like, why am I going to give my energy and respond to this person when somebody else who messaged me asking for genuine advice, I didn't even take the time of day to respond to them. So I'll go and respond to a couple of people that have like messaged me about their music or about advice or whatever, just to, you know, put my energy there instead. And that kind of is a way for me to, you know, cope with, with that. Go and flow where the love is. Yeah. Go and, and flow where the, the new, love is. The new restricted um, thing on Instagram of pushing people to your general inbox, shout out to them. <laughs> because that helps a lot, too. Like, you literally just don't see it. Or just sometimes you hit them with a light. Like, I'm a jokester, so I just love to say little things. So somebody's like, okay, ankles. Like, <laughs> okay, jeans. And they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, you wanted a response? I gave you one in a right. nice way. And just keep it moving. <laughs> That's all it is. I think it's important to remember, usually nine times out of ten, it's a lot more positivity than there is negativity. So that's, you know, what you got to kind of focus your brain to focus on, focus on the good. Um, with that being said, ladies, it's been a pleasure. Let's give a round of applause. This was the Art of Creating Influence 101. Um, thank you guys so much for attending today. Make sure you tag Rose Gold University on your Instagram story. And uh, we have some winners for the giveaway. Dum, dum, dum. And while Tally does that, I have a showcase tonight, an all-woman showcase called the Sorority House at the Empire Control Room with a lot of fire, all-women artists. So make sure you all pull up there. We'll be there. <laughs>